Hello, welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I am your host, Jason Napolitano, and I have on the line my co-host, Mr. Chris Sheridan. How you doing? Hey. Did you Good like that? Back. Yeah, that's, need a little echo, a little reverb, and <laughs> the uh, thousand, thunderous applause. From thunderous the, applause from the, from the thousands of masses From the throng. <laughs> from right. The throng of ancient wisdom hungry listeners. So. We can put that in there later, just fly that in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There it is. It's as if we're at a KISS concert in 1978. So there you go. All right. So uh, it is Sunday. Thank you for joining us on the show. We appreciate you guys being here. This is our 101st episode. So our 100th episode was our last episode. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, that was the uh, Emmett Fox Friday that we did. So for this 101st episode, we're doing a show we're calling Manly Hall 101. So what, is that, what exactly does that mean, you ask? Well, Chris, why don't you tell them what that means? <laughs> well, uh, this is 2020, and Manly Hall started his professional career in 1919. So this is 101 years uh, since he began his work. His career lasted 70 years, so it's really only been 30 years that we haven't had him, but still have his teachings. And it's 101 because we're gonna kind of give a nice overview. We talk a lot of these last 100 previous episodes about Manly Hall, but this is, if you don't know who he is, or maybe you've heard of him, but don't know much about him, hopefully we can get a little bit of an overview. There's so much to talk about, so much to discuss about Mr. Hall and his works. Uh, but I think we can give a pretty good uh, overview. Absolutely. And uh, of course, another another sort of thing that's connected to this, this 101 idea is our very first episode that we did was on the secret teaching. So we set out, you know, this, this podcast with the intention of, you know, being pretty heavy on Manly Hall's work and actually did our first, most of our first actually probably 20 or 30 episodes were revolving around his work. So we're kind of getting back to that and, and just kind of making a, a nod and a gesture towards uh, our appreciation for that fine philosopher and that wonderful gentleman. The, uh, as uh, as uh, Mr. Uh, Stephen Heller, Reverend Stephen Heller likes to say, the, uh, the Plato of Los Angeles. So, well, that's a great way to describe him and that's uh, probably a good starting point because yeah. he started in Los Angeles and lived in the Los Feliz area and died at age 89 in 1990. Uh, very much Los Angeles was his whole, he toured, he went, you know, around the world to speak, but he's an L.A. philosopher, and that's part of the quirkiness and interesting, there's Hollywood stories <laughs> involved with him, so yeah. it's, uh, it's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that was funny, too, because uh, Dr. Heller was, was talking about that, and by the way, Dr. Heller is the bishop of the Gnostic Church, and he was one of the main speakers at the Philosophical Research Society, which is the group that Manley Hall founded, and that building is still on Los Feliz and Griffith Park uh, in Los Angeles. And of course, as we've talked about a million times, both Chris and I work there, and that is in fact where we met. So we owe our friendship to the great Manley Hall as well. Um, but he was talking about how Manley Hall uh, used to talk about Los Angeles, and he would say like how lucky uh, everybody who lived in Los Angeles was to be there because it was this, he felt it was this great spiritual center that was going to really kind of change the world. And he was not wrong about that. If you look at some of the ideas and movements that have come out of Los Angeles over the last hundred years, I mean, it's remarkable. Um, you know, the modern evangelical Christian movement comes out of Los Angeles. Uh, Self-realization fellowship with Yogananda comes out of Los Angeles. The PRS, obviously. Um, not to mention the countless, you know, media and, and art and, and um, you know, various cultural things that have come out of there. The 60s, of course, were, were born in San Francisco, but really grew up in Los Angeles, let's be honest, and then were exported to the rest of the world through through Los Angeles, through the movies and music and art and so on, right? So a huge, uh, huge and important center. And it was- Like it was, in the story, if you were to tell the story of Manly Hall, Los Angeles would have to be more than a backdrop. It may even be like one of the 
characters. <laughs> like a character, indeed. And now he was not born there. Tell us a little bit about how he started out and how he got there and so on. Well, he was born in Canada and raised with his maternal grandmother uh, because his mom, well, moved out to California uh, when he was a young boy. And, um, and that's how he wound up here as a teenager, um, connecting with her in, in Oceanside. We can get to that. Um, but he started, uh, when he came to America, I think as a 17 year old, he went to New York. Uh, he worked at a magic shop and one of his jobs was to take care of the animals, all the rabbits and the doves and the <laughs> animals that the, um, magicians would use, uh, in New York city. And he also worked on wall street and for a little while, and he saw the materialism, saw somebody jump out of a window. This would have been, you know, probably 10 years before the crash on Wall Street in 1929, but there, there were still problems then mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Uh, came, out, uh, came out here, went to Oceanside where uh, his mother was uh, a healer and that's where he learned publishing and uh, through the, it's the Rosicrucian Fellowship, very different than the AMORC <laughs> Rosicrucians. Um, but, uh, and then he came to LA and started, uh, speaking at the place called the church of the people soon took it over, uh, but started in 1919 and was full-time by 1920. And he spoke every week, maybe many times a week, uh, until he died in 1990. Thousands of lectures, just Thousands. an incredible body of work. There's, it would take hours just to go through his bibliography and, you know, lecture series, just hugely prolific. So it's interesting because you mentioned, and I and I know about this myself uh, a little bit, is is that from working on Wall Street, uh, you know, I know, like you said, he saw someone jump out of a window and he saw the greed and the panic and so on, and he saw the materialism running wild. And, and again, you know, that's interesting because, you know, as we said, we're kind of paralleling the time that he started his career with, you know, the, with our time today. And, you know, you could argue that in, in some ways, you know, we're more materialistic than we were in 1919. And certainly there's more people in cities and more people living a sort of technologically oriented lifestyle and more people plugged into the matrix as it were, uh, than, there were certainly in, in 1919 when people were, you know, they were starting to rush to the cities for work and so on. And there was a massive migration of people coming from rural areas to the cities for jobs and so on. But that transition hadn't taken place yet. And I think the bulk of the people in the United States in 1919, 1920, probably up to the early 30s, I would imagine, you know, lived a more rural lifestyle, meaning closer to the earth, meaning raising your own animals and farming or at least living in a small town and you know you're doing some sort of hands-on work as a smith or a mechanic or something that's ancillary to the farming communities and so on right so much closer to the earth certainly than than we are today but he even began to see that greed and that materialism starting to form and starting to shift the way that people were looking at life spiritually and he was very fond of that saying and he, he, it, was, it wasn't his saying, he got it from somewhere else, but he, I don't think he could ever put his finger on where he got it from. But it was an idea, because uh, Dr. Heller was talking about this in one of his lectures. But he used to say spiritual materialism quite a bit. He would talk about how America was kind of in this, you know, caught in the grips of this spiritual materialism. And I think that's a really great way to put it. And in some ways, and I, and I think you'd agree with me here, and I want, to share, I want you to share your thoughts on this. We're caught in almost a situation probably worse than the spiritual materialism he was dealing with, in, at least in the early days of his career uh, today. Would you agree with that? Well, in a relative way, they're yeah. probably a lot closer. So a, a person of 1920, um, the changes in the rapid acceleration with technology uh, compared to where they were <laughs> in the 1800s and everything uh, was probably just as shocking and uh, like pulling a band-aid off it was you know it was kind of painful to uh, make these changes so there's definitely a parallel we're used to having more media and more technology um, but we're also going through a similar thing and I think that's why this you know 101 theme is really good because um, well, look at 1920. It was right after World War One and all that suffering. That's in the you know materialism of 
destruction. Sure. Uh, and uh, there was a big flu pandemic, um, 1918, 1919, uh, 1920, women finally were granted the right to vote in this country, but that didn't just happen in 1920. So all through yeah. the time of his teens growing up, great social change, great technological advancements, uh, you know, radio and, you know, cars and transcontinental railway, uh, you know, expanding. Uh, there was moving at a much faster pace, right? Cities, skyscrapers yeah. were starting. And, uh, but there was also a hope uh, that this, you know, could have been a good time that, you know, if we did away with some of this materialism, uh, we would have, uh, you know, a chance to build a greater society, uh, you know, that's better for everybody. Yeah. You know, there's revolutions and, you know, the communist revolution. So there's a really a lot going on. There's a lot going on now that's very similar. Um, but back to spiritual materialism, I think he was, you know, it's like a snake oil salesman uh, mm -hmm. is to medicine. And uh, he was probably just early in his career, in his 20s, he was probably just as much against that spiritual materialism as he was against actual materialism with goods and <laughs> material items. Yeah. Because he thought that was a disservice. Um, you're really sending people the wrong way. If you're suggesting that uh, wisdom and enlightenment uh, can be bought for you know, a certain price and over yeah. a weekend, and I'm the person that can give it to you. There's no royal road. He, he knew it was a disciplined approach, and anybody who was selling a quick and easy way um, was not selling the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. And I think uh, particularly at that time, and today too, though, you know, in our, in our, in our society, we're kind of addicted to these ideas of the the three steps to this or the seven steps to that or the quick and easy way to get rich or the overnight way to, you know, build a million dollar business online or whatever other nonsense that people are trying to sell you. And again, it's not that Manley Hall was against capitalism and he wasn't against, you know, having a nice material existence and so on. What he was against was the idea of greed and devoting your entire life to, to, you know, to earning money without any thought of a spiritual life and inner life and out without any thought for any outer circumstances beyond, you know, your own material happiness. I think that's what he was really, really concerned with. And he saw that's where, you know, we were, we were heading. And I think you could argue that today, I mean, we've come to this almost like apotheosis of that sort of thinking in a lot of ways. And now we're kind of turning back into you know, the, maybe an older way of looking at things, trying to get into a more natural way of looking at things and getting rid of a lot of the things that we thought were progress, you know, to go back to more sort of basic ways of living and, you know, organic farming and people crafting things and making things and appreciating handmade goods again and things like that. And so you see, that's the I think the the turn the in an in an antio, antiodromia, I guess you'd call it, right? An antiodromia, that's what it is. The uh turning in on itself or the turning to the opposite that Jung talked about, you know. Um so you know, obviously anytime anything goes a certain distance, uh you're gonna see it it turn back on itself. So, you know, I think what 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 doesn't change and what we're we're gonna talk about as we go along is this um, underpinning of the ancient wisdom, is this um, continual reliance on and this continual stream of this golden chain that goes back to prehistory, that's our, all of our heritage as human beings, that's the collected wisdom of, you know, the ancestors from multiple cultures, but it has a universal thread and a universal theme that reaches back into the, you know, dawn of time as far as as far as we know and then mythology tries to reach back even even further past you know history and so on to to illuminate some of the things when you know man was maybe in a different conscious state of state or you know in a less evolved state and things like that and trying to speculate you know how we made some of our advances and things like that and you know the ancient wisdom tries to address some of that um, but it's this perennial wisdom this wisdom that is always uh, relevant that we're talking about and that's really what interested him and why we talk about him and why we believe his work is still so relevant is because it rests on the shoulders of these giants and these 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 ancient sages right 
Right, and that was really the centerpiece of his motivation, his mission, and his life's work um, was to gather up from literally gathering up books and texts and documents uh, from all over the world in a huge, huge library that's you know, mostly still uh, intact and making all that available uh, using 20th century you know, methods of printing and like I said, radio, and it, he just, he embraced every bit of tech that came along afterwards um, to, that it was important uh, and necessary right, to revive and, and make available to everybody this ancient wisdom uh, that has served civilization since, like you're saying, the dawn of time, probably before time, before they knew what time was, there was some <laughs> keeper of the wisdom that made sure the, the tribe or the, you know, the cave dwellers, uh, you know, kept them alive, mm -hmm. uh, this existence. Uh, and the more we move away from that, uh, the more trouble there is in the world and more importantly, in the hearts of, of the human being. Um, and to all the problems, you know, of today are the problems of every other day. Yeah. Uh, the ancient wisdom is just as modern as anything else because it's timeless and it transcends uh, the flavor of the day or who's in power or which empire is running the world or this tech thing or uh, they, they still hold true, which is why they're true again now. Uh, so it could easily say we are in a similar situation in 2020 that perhaps the world was um, in 1920, mm -hmm. and having this long history of ancient wisdom, this it's the heritage, it's yeah. the birthright of every living being, well, every at least human being um, on the planet. Um, you know, it's ours. Yeah, and yeah. it's useful. It's practical. Um, it's relevant. It just has to be represented. You know, every so often in a new way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, change form, uh, but the underlying story, the essence of uh, this, the history, the wisdom of, of the ages, of the race, that is the human race, um, needs to live. It needs, the, the candle needs another light keeper mm -hmm. <laughs> to keep it, keep the light burning and make yeah. it available through this darkness. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. By the way, I have to I have to mention it sounded like somebody started a dune buggy in the room that you're in. Was there a, a dune buggy in your room? Uh, no, but there was a tuner car uh, <laughs> zipping through the driveway. Okay, so, so kind of putt putting, but yeah. So a, a prop car from the Fast and the Furious was just exactly. yeah. okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Of, uh, what's his name? <laughs> I always, I always, I always love that. Like, uh, I don't know if, if you, if you watched Entourage, but Ari, the power agent, when he got kicked out of his, his agency that he helped to build, he was, he's like, I came to work in a hundred thousand dollars Mercedes Benz and I'm going home in a prop car from the Fast and the Furious because he had his assistant drive him home in his car and he was driving one of those little tuner cars. I, I love that line. I can't, I can't forget that one. So has nothing to do with the ancient wisdom, but a little levity always is good. All right, so the point to all this, and I, I like what you're saying, and that's, uh, it's fantastic. I wanna uh, talk a little bit about some of these ideas because we do often talk about the ancient wisdom and don't necessarily talk about the specifics of some of it. And I think, you know, obviously when you speak of the ancient wisdom, it has many varieties and many, you know, thousands of different teachings and teachers and so on, and it spans time, you know, and it includes Egyptian wisdom, Sumerian wisdom, Babylonian wisdom, uh, you know, up through the Greeks, through the Romans, through the, you know, the Renaissance into, you know, the Neo Neoplatonists and then, you know, the, uh, the new Hermetic schools that arose. And, you know, you could go on and on and on and chart its trajectory of, of course, the Gnostics and the modern Gnostic movements. And, and you know, up to this day where we would call, you know, some of these teachings now, they're, they use the term maybe New Age or consciousness studies or something like this or comparative religious studies, something like that, whatever it is. But the point is, is that these, 
these teachings do share some things in common. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to go over every single thing, obviously, but, you know, one of the biggest things that, you know, the, the mystery schools and the teachers of ancient wisdom and, you know, the true schools of occult and esoteric philosophy, one of the things that happened was there was always a sort of a graded, a graded path. So basically, in the ancient wisdom, there was a, a three-level sort of process that one went through. Um, so it started out where you were uh, like a neophyte or a student, and that was sort of your testing period. That was your sort of a probationer, let's call it. And you moved into that level that uh, might be known as a disciple um, or something like that. And then, you know, at that level, you're sort of proving yourself even, even more, but you're, you're sort of starting to gain some of the esoteric wisdom and moving to some of the higher level things. And then, of course, the adept was the third level, and that was sort of conferred on a, uh, on a spiritual level, in essence, that was an esoteric sort of an initiation that occurred, and that usually had some mental powers that went along with it, some clairvoyance or some other sort of you know, extrasensory sort of powers and stuff that it conveyed or, you know, you know, special levels of healing or wisdom or so on. And, you know, very few people would make it to the adept level. Most people ended up as, you know, as a disciple or something like that. But that's a very practical way of looking. And of course, you know, most of the modern mystery schools are built on that, the three-level, you know, system. Of course, Freemasonry and you know some of the Rosicrucian orders and different different orders and so on. Magical orders have that three level or seven level or ten level thing, but there's usually a, th a three level portion of it in some some part of the work. And I think that you know that is one of these things where there's a, there's so much wisdom just in that structuring right off the bat that I would say before we even discuss like what you know what are some of the things they were actually teaching, but. The fact that, you know, you've got to go through a sort of level, you know, certain levels to receive uh, higher levels of teaching implies that a student doesn't just jump online and confer himself a degree or, you know, look up something on Google and suddenly understand some esoteric wisdom. It actually requires a practice, you know, it would require a period of silence or a period of concentration or you know, basic duties that needed to be fulfilled or basic um, teachings that needed to be memorized or trials that one had to go through on some level or another. It's a sort of a proving ground. And I think one of the challenges today with, with spiritual material is that so much of it is just out there in the open that people read something and then they suddenly exclaim that they're, that they're woke or they're awake or they're um, they're a master, or they're an adept, or they're this or that, and you haven't done any preliminary work to, to sort of get to the point where you even understand what that, what that means. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's something very practical in, in, in kind of going slowly through this work and having to kind of prove yourself and prove yourself worthy of, of that knowledge that makes you strong it makes you have perseverance focused mind it gives you more desire to find out what is on, at those next levels and so on that you can't get just by googling something just you, do you know what i mean well i do and then that's the real we're in the information age uh, yeah. at this point the digital information age and it is very very easy to get any bit of knowledge um, information that has been written down or if there's a picture of it or a recording uh, there are great archival <laughs> websites as a matter of fact uh, the thousands of books that Manley Hall collected uh, over his life he went around the world and found rare rare books that were very very expensive uh, even in the 20s and 30s to uh, to work on his collection now some of those books thanks to him for many of them uh, have been scanned and they're free and available. And you can just click and you're there. He's yeah. making thousands of dollars, you know? So um, it's very easy to get that factual information, but there's a real mistake uh, when you confuse information with wisdom. You know, this ancient knowledge <laughs> is more than just what's written on the paper. As a matter of fact, that's just the first step 
yeah. uh, or it's one, it's one half, but it's probably the small half. The rest is putting it into use and unfolding that in you. That's just the guideline, uh, yeah. the lessons that um, to actually have that knowledge turn into any kind of wisdom uh, or uh, really powerful you know, mental energy uh, to where you can make your life in this world much better and much easier, um, you have to put it to work. Just like a diet or you know, an exercise program or learning an instrument, um, it's something that has to be done. And that's when you can hear the music. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's a good point. It's, it's like, you know, gathering wisdom and, you know, working through this material and, you know, working on your inner life and your, your spiritual development and your conscious transformation within, unconscious transformation within and so on. It is a lot like like learning a craft or learning to play music or something like that in that, you know, you you get some information and then you've got to continually practice that. Like in the case of a musician, you're going to play your scales, you know, obviously you learn your notes and you're going to learn how to read music and then you're going to practice and you're going to learn chords if you're playing guitar and, you know, all these different things. These are the sort of craft elements of it. And then as time goes on, you know, you move up to the higher levels, you learn more complicated songs, you might learn how to solo, and that's going to be something that's more interiorly uh, motivated and creative. You know, of course, we all and this is the same thing with this is an analogy between, you know, music and esoteric wisdom is like, you know, we all want to jump up, and do, a, you know, a solo like uh, Eddie Van Halen or something like when we first pick up the guitar. But we don't want to do the, you know, the 15 or 20 years of work that it took to to get there, right? And so, you know, it's like anything else. And that's the thing with one of the dangers of this spiritual materialism that he talks about is that people jump right into really advanced techniques that they probably, you know, have no business getting into, or they want to mess around with, you know, mediums, and they want to, you know, channel this entity, or they want to do you know, really heavy duty past life work, or they want to just, you know, take some DMT and see the spirit world. And, you know, not to knock any of those things by any means, those are all valid approaches to spiritual expansion. But most people, I think, don't want to do some of the preliminary work that's necessary uh, to, to kind of ready yourself for, for some of this higher work, uh, because it's, it's challenging. And it's tedious and it's not very glamorous. And it's things like, well, learning to control your temper and rooting out your, you know, your prejudices and unclear thinking, um, you know, learning how to think more logically and clearly without, uh, without so much emotion behind things in certain, in certain situations or, you know, not letting your buttons get pushed in this or that situation. You know, things that sound kind of mundane, it's like, well, no, that's, that's, not, that's not esoteric. Well, it is, though. Because the thing is, is if it's like saying, and this is how what people don't realize about this work, it would be like you wanting to be uh, the CEO of a corporation, but you're not willing to learn any of the things you need to know. You don't want to know anything about accounting or leadership or, you know, or uh, the structure of the organization or, you know, law or any of these, these things that you need to know as, as a leader of, of, of a major corporation, for example, and you want to just jump right in and do that work because you feel like you could, you know what I'm saying? And the, the esoteric work is, is no different. You've got to do the same preparation that you would for any sort of job or any sort of difficult thing that you want to do. And it means learning basic things about philosophy and, you know, working on your memory, understanding the symbolism, reading mythology, understanding religion. And, you know, I mean, we could go on and on and on. Obviously, you know, we will as time goes on, because, you know, one of the things both you and I want to do, and we're going to be offering this, you know, in the, in the near future, is, is teach people how to approach this material in a methodical way, because it's not, it's not something that you really know how to do just because you look things up on the internet, right? It has a practical way of doing things, doesn't it? Well, it does. And uh, one of the terms me and the hall used was in soul, E-N-S-O-U-L. 
sort of like when you embody something, you know, you're the spitting image of that, or you're the embodiment of health or vitality. That to the body is what knowledge is to the soul. It has to be ensouled. You're bringing it in just like you would bring food into your digestive system and your taste buds. Uh, you are bringing these words and great lessons and the collected history of wisdom into your, not just your body, but your soul. Um, and that requires a lot of inner work. And that is honesty with yourself, the ability to look at yourself and change some things about yourself, being responsible for the things that you've done <laughs> in the past and being, you know, an honest person that is internally honest. You're honest with yourself. Yeah about who you are and that's where i that's just as that's probably the hardest part <laughs> about the whole thing is because there is no out there wisdom and i'm a wizard and i'm going to manifest this uh only to the degree that you have yourself in order yep. is your magic or your mind science um, there's a recent one in the last 10 years called the secret that you know hugely popular uh, made it sound really easy. Well, just change your mind and you change your world. Just think of something and it'll show up in your driveway. And, um, you know, there's some truth to that, or actually that is true, but that's not the full picture. And I think that would almost fall into the same category of this spiritual materialism that, uh, yeah. that we all was talking about a hundred years ago. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. And, and again, I think you're right about that. <laughs> it's like, it, it may, it may or, or may not work depending on the capacity of your mind and how you've trained yourself or how, you know, what your faith is like, or, you know, how focused your mind is and, and so on. Um, and what your beliefs are, your belief structure, what, what you believe is possible for yourself and so on. Those can all be factors in that sort of, you know, new thought secrety kind of thinking. And, you know, of course, new thought goes much deeper than all of that, but that's the sort the sort of pop thing is this, this law of attraction idea where really, you know, basically people are just kind of turning the universe into a wishing machine, like whatever I can come up with that's good for me and think about it and, and imagine it, then that's what's going to pop into my life. And you know what, we talk about that stuff a lot. We talk about that on the Emmett Fox show, and we talk about the possibility of having that stuff happen. And it is possible. And you can make those things happen. What philosophy does, though, and this is why you want to train yourself, is philosophy and the ancient wisdom give you first the clarity to see the things that you should be working towards, constructive things, and not just egotistical desires or things that are going to harm other people or things that are completely, you know, beyond your ability to control them or, or work them well. You know, it's like the Sorcerer's Apprentice. If, you know, we talked about this earlier before the show, but I don't know, it just popped into my head, is that little segment of um, a Fantasia where it's Fantasia, right? Right. Yeah. And so Mickey's in there and he, the wizard's away and Mickey's an apprentice and he gets a hold of the book and he starts making all this stuff happen that he can't control. The place starts flooding. Brooms are running around. It's, you know, things are going crazy. And, you know, that is one of the things that, you know, this sort of preliminary work prevents. You may be able to, you know, create all kinds of things with your mind and with your magical work and with your ritual and so on. But the question is, should you? be doing those things and are they the best thing for you and the people around you and is your magic and your mental work going to cause more harm and good than good and you know and, and those are the kinds of things that the ancient wisdom would have had you address you know prior to using those things and that's why you know a lot of people want to throw these ideas out like well it's just simplistic you know it's like I don't need to learn how to control myself and I don't need to learn how to be a good person. I don't need to learn how to give charity and do good works and things like that, because that's, you know, I just want to, I want a, a new Ferrari. And so I'm going to manifest that with my mind. It's like, well, okay. I mean, you can, you can try to do that and you may even, you may even get that Ferrari with your mind, but it may or may not be the best thing for you. It may, you know, you might end up getting an accident that it, it puts you, you know, put you out of commission and you might end up getting an accident that kills you, cuts your life short because you weren't supposed to have that thing yet. You, right. you know, that's, that's where the, you know, he talks about the spiritual materialism. It's like, it's not that the material 
stuff is bad. And it's not that your desires are bad. It's that you need to learn how to temper your mind and work on yourself so that you're manifesting things through your work and through your mind and through your ritual that are good for you, the people around you and the rest of the world. And that's what it means to be a true philosopher, you know, in line with the ancient wisdom, right? Well, that's one of the things also that the ancient wisdom provides is a framework yep. for what it is and more importantly, why it is that you want something. Um, well, say you want a Ferrari. Well, that's fine. If you want to drive a fast car um, and you like the way they look and you can afford it, you know, that's great. But that's not <laughs> always why somebody gets a sports car. Yep. It, uh, so we can show up your neighbor or then maybe you'll get attention uh, from other people. Maybe you'll yeah. get a date. Maybe you'll feel powerful now, or maybe you'll shove it in their face because now I got mine. Um, those are very different reasons uh, yeah. to want to conjure up a Ferrari. Um, and, and well, okay, if you want attention, if you want respect, if you want those kinds of things, and Ferrari's not necessarily gonna give that to you. It might give you some version of that. Mm -hmm. uh, you can, the ancient wisdom is a process that allows you to go deeper into that. Okay, I really want attention. Well, why do I want attention? Well, I feel like I'm not being heard or respected. Uh, and okay, well then, uh, what can I do that's respectful? What respectful thing I can do for my community that will give me respect? A lot more than a Ferrari would, sure. if that's the only reason why you want it. So the ancient wisdom and philosophy is, you know, ethics is a huge, huge part of philosophy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, why would you want to do something? But it also helps you see through things and get to what's underneath it and what you really want. Yes, mind science and ancient wisdom can help you get what you want, but it also helps you determine um, and develop these values in yourself. Exactly. exactly. Well, because you can use those same tools to develop uh, spiritual wisdom to develop, you know, fortitude and perseverance so that you can work through the challenges in your life, uh, to develop a clarity of vision for your life and, and so on. And I think that's the preliminary work that these, you know, the student and disciple level sort of trainings give you. And the thing is, people want to jump up to that adept level and just kind of, you know, start waving the magic wand and, you know, making things happen. And you're right, it's like you need to kind of examine. And, they, you know, most good magical systems, even today, uh, amongst the, you know, the, the newer uh, traditions that came out of Freemasonry and so on, and I've talked about them several times, like the OTO, the OTA, the Golden Dawn, and the different, you know, versions of Thalema and Crowley's work, and a lot of the, you know, the, the, the modern magic that comes out of England and, and moves to the U.S., it it does have this idea built into it. And a lot of people, again, in those systems don't listen to it as well. But it has the idea that, you know, before you go trying to do any of this magical astral work and, you know, trying to work with these different spiritual entities or trying to evoke this or that, you know, magical spirit through this or that procedure, learning all these complicated sigils and rituals and so on and Hebrew and Latin, you know, terminologies and Kabbalistic worlds. And, you know, it's extremely complicated. They, you know, they tell you, look, get your own house in order. Go, a lot of them say, go get some therapy and, you know, deal with some of the issues uh, in your own life and make sure this isn't some sort of power play or some sort of, you know, complex trying to play itself out. Make sure you're doing this work that is supposed to be called theurgy, basically. It's a sort of, you know, a sort of godly kind of a mystical tradition. It's, it's, it's not, you know, supposed to be used in, you know, in negative ways. Um, you know, make sure your own house is in order, though, before you do these really complicated, abstract, sort of powerful, you know, psycho-spiritual and magical techniques. You know, and that's where it's like, we want to just skip right ahead and, you know, and I, I understand it. I, I get it. I empathize with that. I mean, that's the, like the fun stuff is, you know, the high level stuff. You want to go right to the PhD. No one wants to do the 101 class or the, you know, the basic classes, right? It's, you want to go right into the cool stuff. But, 
you know, there's a, there's a reason though why people get discouraged and they move from spiritual movement to spiritual movement, from guru to teacher to this to that, and never making any progress. Because oftentimes we are not willing to do the challenging basic work that needs to be done to make that progress. You know what I mean? And that includes things like learning how to memorize things, doing uh, work that helps your memory be, be stronger, working on visualizing, and then of course working on your own sort of day-to-day -day life. Like how am I living as a person? You know, am I making an adequate living in my job? And how's, you know, am I treating people well in my day-to-day -day life? How are my relationships? What's my family life like? You know, we want to escape off into the idea of this magical world and stuff, and that can be really compelling. But the real progress is made when you're able to, you know, work on that kind of mundane stuff and really get a handle on that and then move into this more esoteric and occult work with all those basics handled. And, you, and then you're, you've, you've, it's as if you've spent all that time like tuning up your car and like building this, speaking of tuner cars, you know, building this super powerful engine that finally you're ready to fire up and you have the skills to drive this thing and you've learned how to see super clearly and you've got your competitive edge and your logic and clarity. So, I mean, you're really firing on all cylinders, as they say, once you've done this basic work, right? And you haven't jumped in ahead of yourself. Right, and if you do, you're just gonna bring who and what you are to that. If you have a stressed you know, mental attitude, if your uh, affairs are chaotic, and out of order um, and then you get in a race car or if you develop a spiritual practice those things will creep in with it too um, so it's really in in your best interest but it's you have to and, and like alchemy one of, the, one of the first operations is calcionado and that's a burning uh, which is just like a um, you know an ash uh, ritual to purify or sometimes when people meditate or do a shaman journey they'll surround themselves in a, uh, a protective uh, orb of white light or a golden ball or something um, is really start at home start with yourself and because that's what you're going to bring out into the world and yeah your magic your art <laughs> whatever it is mm -hmm. uh, this won't be um, it'll reflect you know, well, that, yeah and that calcin audio that you're talking about is a burning off of that dross it's a burning off and purifying of all those negative emotions and you know and 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 sort of like misunderstandings and a really sort of a burning away of some of the lower stuff you know so that you can move forward and sort of up this scale of you know this alchemical process right but it yeah, starts yeah. in perfect though you know the thing is no, no. yeah steps and you are consciously making those choices yeah in the action to purify your heart your your mind uh, your thoughts your emotions uh, to where they're kinder they're more easygoing they're more connected with nature and more in harmony yeah. uh, with the world and uh, that's um, that's really half the work I mean, that's yeah. mostly what it is. It's the alchemist. Yes, they spend time in their lab, uh, but you're really spending that time on yourself. You know, the great mythic journey. You know, we didn't even get into mythology. That's another great, you know, hugely, you know, a broad part of the ancient wisdom is a myth or an allegory or a spiritual wisdom tale uh, to give us some information uh, on how we need to go about living our lives or what we might expect at certain turning points. And it's a step-by-step -step process, but the first one, initiation, you have to be thrown into this new world. And, you know, by the end, you're uh, a changed person. You are transformed. Uh, but when early on, even in the movies, you're like a fish out of water. You're taken out from your home world, your comfort zone, and now you have this challenge, this call to adventure. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to really have to become somebody else uh, and be willing to lose, you know, your, you know, deeply held beliefs on your identity or uh, your grudges that you're gripping or things like that. You have to have a willingness to 
because um, you really that's really the goal is to change yourself that's a great point and you know kind of to to bring us full circle again banning back to manly hall i mean uh, most of his lectures and most of his work especially uh towards towards the you know the second half of his life and stuff as he as he became more mature and stuff very practical you know he got back you know to the basics and really would would talk about people's behavior and ethics and philosophy and you know we'd talk about what was happening in the day and you know the current time and so on um but always with an eye towards or you know and always with with an eye informed by uh by this ancient wisdom and by these esoteric traditions you know so that he never he never got away from that base but you know, a lot of the more magical work and occult work that he did was was earlier when he was a, a younger man. Um, and, you know, certainly that's, you know, some of the favorite stuff of most people, myself included. Um, but but really, you know, it was the foundation that he kind of built all this on. And, and I think as he was, as he became older, he, he began to stress, you know, some of the more practical and ethical stuff, because I think he saw some of those problems. And I, he does talk about that oftentimes of how you know, people get caught up in these different spiritual fads or, you know, occult practices that they're not ready for, and they haven't built that foundation yet. Um, and I think that's one of the things that he that he stressed a lot in his certainly in his lectures, um, and certainly in um, you know a lot of what in the, what's in the pamphlets and so on, right? And and uh, and all that. But to kind of get again to get back to his work, um, you know, the first show that we did, we talked a lot about the secret teachings. And the secret teachings, by the way, if you do not have it, is a must-own book, and get you know really any edition that you can. I mean, there's there's obviously more beautiful ones that you want to own if you're collecting them, but you know there's readers editions and so on that you can get. The Tartar Penguin one is a, is a, a you know a cheaper version that you can get if you just want to study that. But it's it's you know it's an encyclopedia of this knowledge in it. It really is. Uh, as as Dr. Heller talked about, Manley Hall talked about it with him, he would say, you know, all of his work as he went on in his life was just really taking, he said, after he did that, the secret teachings, it was really just about building on that foundation. I mean, he would just take a paragraph or a page or something, and he would write a whole pamphlet or another book on something that he that he pulled out of the secret teachings. Uh, and, and he actually had told uh, Dr. Heller that he said, you know, that was the most important piece of work that I ever did in my life. And everything else is built around that book. So, you know, that's a, that's an interesting thing. So highly recommend if you do not own that book to, to get a, to get a copy and begin and begin wherever you want in it. And that's the beautiful thing about that book. You can start at the beginning and read it through like a book, or you can just grab some little section of it and pick a picture that you like or a symbol that you like and read into that you know because uh we talked about this i think in that secret teaching i'm pretty sure we talked about how he had mentioned it's in the what is it it's in the forward or something where he talks about how every chapter no no it was in some supplemental material wasn't it where he talks about how every every chapter is basically the same story just in a different symbolic form right Right, and that's comparative mythology, comparative religion, yeah. uh, writ large. So, yes, if it's an Egyptian thing, if it's Masonic, if it's Rosicrucian, if it's alchemy, uh, anything else, you know, each chapter is really different in different culture, Greek oracles, uh, all different kinds of symbolism, Native American symbolism, a whole chapter dedicated to that. It's the story of us, the, the single story that is told so many times in so many traditions across all cultures and throughout all time is the story of us. The hero's journey is the story of our lives. You know, it's this transformation, this alchemical transformation is us becoming a more mature being. It's the path of humanity. And each time we have to you know, learn this, teach it, apply it and grow just a little bit more um, as the collective grows and moves and progresses. Exactly. Uh, maturing, it's a transformation and it's, it pulls us out of this lie uh, with, I think um, what the Hindus called it, um, Maya, right? This world of illusions that we live in. Most everything we see, you know, the world is, 
or like the matrix, you know, it's all a, a schematic or something that, uh, that there's a real truth, uh, the reality behind all these kind of facts and all these illusions, these projections on the cave wall to borrow from, from Plato. Uh, but that's what all these stories are. That's what all these myths and religious is to transcend that. Yeah. Be in the world, but not of it. Uh, there is a truth behind all the facts <laughs> around us. There's it, a deeper truth about it, us, about who we are. There's a, yeah, and there's that that one of the things that you know gets that's a universal sort of in in all this ancient wisdom is the idea of the absolute, the idea of this um, you know transcendent realm, this spiritual being, this universal power behind all of uh, all of this that we're really just having this experience. Uh, um, of reflected consciousness of that, you know, that super consciousness, that that absolute behind all of this that we're, you know, and that, and that's where you know Maya kind of comes into play. It's this sort of veil that allows us. It's sort of the screen, really, that the that the movie is projected onto. Um, but this this thing that you know that the ancient wisdom constantly would get back to is that there is meaning to it, and that's kind of one of the ideas and why this. Is this information is so important now and why it was so important in the early 1900s when Manley Hall was talking about this and even later into his career, is that over time, modern society, postmodern society, as we call it today, um, in, you know, the industrial age, the media age, the information age, all these places that we've gotten to and moved through, you know, has sort of lost its bearings lost its connection to the to the absolute to the spiritual truth behind it behind everything and even to this point now we will say well that's just a subjective idea in one person's mind and you know this is the way that they conceive of the universe and there's no you know there's no real objective truth and all this and some of these postmodern arguments and fair enough you know a certain amount of it is is a, is a subjective experience and you can make that argument and be okay with that but just because people are having subjective experiences does not negate the fact that there's something behind that and that there is that there isn't an objective truth behind all of our experience and that there isn't this unity behind all of it and that's what the ancient wisdom would assert it's that there is purpose there's movement there's a, there's an evolutionary progression um, that you know people are on a sort of trajectory of learning and you know it's it's no it's by no means a straight line. Sometimes it goes down, sometimes it goes up, sometimes the universe is coming, you know, the universe comes into existence, the universe goes out of existence, you know, it's very cyclical, but there is a sort of spiraling towards more consciousness and better consciousness and higher consciousness. And we're on a trajectory of growth and learning, you know, and that is something that, you know, we're all struggling to achieve. And, you know, the, the ancient wisdom would say, well, look, you know, it's not, it's not a progressive, ideal, utopian uh, social experiment out there that we really need. It's a, a transcendent, spiritual, foundational experience that we need within that, you know, we build from, we build society around that. You know what I mean? It, it, like it comes, it comes it's, a, it's from the inside out in essence, and it comes from but it does come from a source that is in and through everything material. And that's the tough thing. It's sort of a dichotomy or a paradox. It's like, well, yes, there's this material world. And then, yes, there's also the spiritual world and they're completely intertwined. And they're, you know, they're existing in and in of each other. You know, and the ancient wisdom would show this sort of chain of, of hierarchies and so on that exist in the invisible world. And again, you know, scientifically or objectively, we may or may not ever be able to uh, to to observe those worlds, or observe the the sort of structure of the universe. But you know, seers and sages and clairvoyants and wise men and women have seen the structure uh, in visions, in dreams, in artwork, in in you know, during prayer, ecstatic dance, and so on, and they've come, you know, through the use of psychedelics um, and different types of substances, whatever, and they, you know, they've shown kind of a, a map of, 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 of meaning. 
And, you know, it's the same sort of thing that exists within, within ourselves. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's a structure and a meaning to it, I guess, is my point. It's a long-winded way of saying there is meaning, there is purpose to life, and there is, there is something greater than us that is at work, you know? There is, some, there is transpersonal power that exists within us and without. And, you know, we have to rely on that and realize it and, and, and out form a conception of it before we can ever, you know, find any kind of meaning in our lives. You know, even if you, trans, you know, even if you describe that as love or as wisdom or as understanding or as caring or compassion and you're shooting towards that ideal, an ideal is still a, a transcendent value, isn't it? Well, it is. And it's these ideals are for the building blocks, you know, the first principles uh, from which all things come. And if you have a strong foundation uh, in these you know, archetypal universals, uh, then everything that comes after that uh, will likely be successful and, and also in harmony. And Mr. Hall talked about, uh, even wrote about it in um, Lectures on Ancient Philosophy in 1929, but it was the Platonic notion of the one, the beautiful, and the good. This, again, we'll go back to a three-part uh, process or a, a three-way looking uh, at something. Um, and that the universe, we all are one. It is a singularity. Uh, it's not all these planets and you know, they're all in there, but it's all part of a one system. And that is wholeness, that's healing, that's the human race. It's all the planets, all the galaxies, and stuff we don't even know about is still one. There's a oneness, a unity. The illusion is that there's all this separateness and conflict and division and diversion, uh, but in essence, there is a oneness to the universe. Um, and the beautiful, that in this ugliness that we see in people and the world and all around us and destructive powers of the universe, uh, there is a beauty that underneath it all, it is a very beautiful expression of life. And the good that we are going somewhere, that we are on, there is order in the chaos. It looks like chaos, it feels like chaos, but underneath it all, there is a very ordered, universe that we can rely on when all the stuff on the surface is so unreliable uh, and so just even something simple like that the one the beautiful and the good philosophy ancient wisdom teaches us uh, to look at things that way and it's with that viewpoint uh, that you can get beyond and see through some of the difficult parts of life that we're presented with and that's the goal, and that's the process uh, that we're touching on about ancient wisdom. That's it. No, that's a good point. And you know, I, I you know, we started out the show, and we were going to talk quite a bit about Manly Hall, and I think we did. Um, but you know, then we kind of spoke about some of these ideas about the ancient wisdom, some things that are going on today, um, some different ideas, and so forth. But I would say that Manly Hall's ideas were guiding all of the information that we talked about today, you know, not to speak for Mr. Hall, but, but I do think, you know, both of us are, are, are informed by his work. And so, and you kind of imbued with the, the essence of what he was trying to teach. So, you know, really, even if we didn't necessarily speak about Manly Hall the entire time, specifically, he was between the lines of everything we we're speaking about today. And we owe much to to his work and to our, you know, our meeting there at the PRS. And so we're, you know, I'm greatly thankful for, for having been introduced to his work and having much of, uh, much of his work in my own library. And I continually reference it as do you, and we do on the show as well. And so one of the big things we want to encourage you guys to do out there is to, to buy his books, to listen to his lectures, check out, um, a Manly Hall Society and listen to the, some of the great lectures that Chris has been putting up on there. He's done beautiful work on that, that audio and, uh, you know, follow that and, and, and check that out. Uh, lectures on ancient philosophy, which you just mentioned is a fantastic book. It's, it's, it's heavy, it's, it's dense and it's um, packed with so much information. And it's, you know, it's a compendium that is, is a, is a companion work for the, to the secret teachings. It's kind of, um, 
you know, it's kind of like the more ethical and philosophical side of it. So with the, with the secret teachings, you've got all the symbolic and the mythological and the, um, you know, sort of magical and occult symbolism and so on. And then in lectures on ancient philosophy, you know, you've got the ethical and philosophical side of things that, you know, the sort of Greek philosophy, the neo Neoplatonist view and so on. And so if you've got, honestly, if you've got those two books, you've pretty much got everything that, that he wrote about. Would you, would you agree? I mean, I, it's a, the bulk of his, his, his messages are contained in those two works, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? I think, well, at least the source material. And you're source right, material, source material. an encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, later in life, well, not later, like from maybe the last 30 or 40 years <laughs> of his 70-year career, uh, really were spent uh, putting things in everyday 20th century Los Angeles, America, uh, language yeah. uh, and topics went through the depression, um, you know, World War II and that destruction, uh, the Cold War and the threat of nuclear annihilation, you know, the beatniks and the hippies all through the 60s and the pill and all these social and technological and world political um, events uh, throughout his career. He always kept consistent um, with taking a view through this ancient wisdom lens. Uh, so if it worked throughout the entire 20th century, it'll work throughout this century and centuries to come. But the real important thing now is that as he did, Mr. Hall, in the 20s, the 1920s, gathering up, um, devouring, um, digesting, all this material and then representing it out to the public uh, for a modern uh, ear and a modern mind uh, to be able to not only approach but understand and more importantly apply uh, to your everyday life. That work still needs to be done. It needs to be done all the time in every age, every generation, or at least every hundred years. And I think we're on that phase again uh, that these ancient wisdom again, uh, maybe taking uh, where Manley Hall left off or in a way doing some of the same thing um, to get uh, these ideas and ideals and really develop that sense of seeing and knowing and perception uh, that goes way beyond uh, academics and the material knowledge-based Mm -hmm. information age uh, that we're in that work still needs to be done i think that's part of the work that we're doing yeah uh, bringing these things back and talking about current events or uh always events um that uh, that can be helped that we can be helped by applying these ancient and venerated techniques absolutely well put uh, i think that's gonna wrap us up so as you said, it is, you know, we're in this, this 100 years kind of period after, and, uh, you know, he began his work. Uh, we find ourselves in a lot of the similar conditions. And we want to encourage you to go back to this ancient wisdom and study it and apply it and work on it, uh, put it to work in your life. It's more important than ever. I think we're finding ourselves in a time of uh, of, of conscious transformation and, you know, a sort of an esoteric revival. I mean, you can see the interest in this material. You can see the excitement that people have uh, rediscovering a lot of these magical and mystical traditions and all the ritual and so on. I see a lot of younger people doing cacao rituals and, you know, shaman stuff and, you know, really interested in Mr. Hall's work and a lot of these uh, older magical traditions are, are being raised up again and you know the neo-pagan traditions and mystical christianity and gnosticism i mean there's a tremendous amount of information and excitement uh around that information on youtube and on uh on, on social media and so on you see people you know wearing t-shirts with ancient symbols that they have no idea what they mean but they're wearing them so you can see that there's just a a sea change of 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 stuff going on here and it is i think what what's we're right in the middle of a revival of a new a new generation of this material you know finding new outlets and and all that but what it all shares in common is it 
it has this golden chain, this golden thread that goes back, you know, like we talked about to the dawn of, you know, recorded history and even into prehistory and so on. And there is this, this tradition of wisdom and the more, you know, really, it's, it's hard to cover it in an hour. It's hard to cover it in 18 hours or 100 hours. But, you know, go to Mr. Hall's work and, you know, specifically the secret teachings of all ages and get an overview, a really beautiful and detailed overview of this tradition and begin to dive in. You know, and we'll talk more about the details of different uh, different traditions and so on as we've been doing. We're going to continue that work, and you know, we're motivated to really try to help create this new, this real new new age of change. Uh, and we hope that you guys are on board with us with that. So please continue to support us. We do appreciate you guys being here each week. Thank you, Chris. Uh, great insights into Mr. Hall's work and and other areas that we talked about today. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you. And this is a never-ending story. So the never-ending story of ancient philosophy is what we're talking about each week. So thank you for joining us. We appreciate you guys here. Um, you know, check us out at CosmicEye.org um, or check Chris's book out. It is The Spirit in the Sky, and you can get that on Amazon or you can, you can see more about Chris at ChrisSheridan.com. Uh, check us out at CosmicEye.org. And you can get in touch with us at info at cosmiceye.org if you wish. And again, if you're, you know, if you do start looking into Manly Hall's work and there's some area that you'd really like us to talk about, please hit us up. Uh, you can do that through the Anchor app as well at anchor.fm slash cosmiceye. So those are, those are the places where we are. And you can follow us on Instagram. Chris is at Chris Sheridan 333. 333 or 33? 333. 333. Um, and I am at Jason Napolitano. That's a long one. So just go to cosmicguy.org and you can find that information. So thank you again for joining us. Uh, we're praying for everybody. Uh, have a great week. Stay safe out there. It's getting dangerous again. You know, I'm telling you, we're praying and we're and we're meditating and we're sending out positive energy to to keep everybody healthy during all this crazy stuff, uh, this virus and whatnot. So uh, stay safe. Have a great week. Goodbye and God bless.